Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Inflation remains too high and the labor market continues to be very tight. Raise the target range for the federal funds rate to four and three quarters to five percent. An indictment. The likelihood that if it occurs, it will just further divide our country. We do not trust TikTok. Your platform should be banned. There are more than 150 million Americans who love our platform. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a Friday. And uh, looks like a pretty nice weekend coming up. WITN is reporting State Auditor Beth Woods has admitted she left the scene of a crash in downtown Raleigh while driving in a state vehicle. She wasn't saying what state she was in when she was driving the state vehicle. Wood pleaded uh, guilty to the misdemeanor charge of leaving the scene of an accident resulting in property damage while the state agreed to dismiss a charge of unsafe movement. <laughs> you you land your car on top of another car. I'd say that was an unsafe movement. The 68-year-old Wood was driving in downtown Raleigh on December the 8th when her car hit a parked car on South Salisbury Street and West Hargett Street. It hit it. Landed right on top of it. I take full responsibility for my actions, Wood told the judge. No excuses. I made great mistake leaving the scene of an accident that night after I had attended a Christmas party in downtown Raleigh. I should have stayed on the scene. I should have called for law enforcement. I should have let the system play out. I was not impaired. But given the positioning of the two cars and the fact that I had two glasses of wine at this event, I made an error in judgment at the moment. Isn't that a contradiction? I mean, I, I don't... You know, two glasses of wine, if that's all it was, I understand it probably would have not put you under the table, but you said I wasn't impaired, but I did have two glasses of wine. Her attorney told the judge that Wood has already paid $11,000 in damages to both the state vehicle and the car that she landed on top of. The judge told Wood this was a glaring case of poor judgment that she now has a criminal record. He fined the state auditor $100 in order to pay $200 in court cost. I'm assuming this is it. Um, I think this is a done deal. You know, and listen, I, I am rather lighthearted as I approach this story, but uh, Beth Wood has apparently done a pretty good job. I don't think she should be judged by this issue alone. But yeah, it was a poor judgment. That is an understatement. Mark Robinson, will he be the next governor? I hope so. Apparently, he's going to have a big announcement. He made this announcement yesterday that he's got a big announcement coming up on April the 22nd. To share a special announcement, uh, everybody is assuming that he's probably going to announce that he's running for governor. The rally will take place at Ace Speedway in Elon. Robinson, I, yeah, I'd say he's uh, the front runner. I mean, you've got um, on the Republican side, along with Robinson, people that are murmuring, looking, insinuating that they might run. Dale Falwell, state treasurer. We've had him on this program, and uh, pretty pretty evident from what he said to us that day that uh, he's running, or, or at least he's giving strong, strong consideration to running. Agricultural Commissioner Steve Droxler, Droxler 
and uh, Representative Mark Walker. They're trying to decide whether they're going to jump in the race or not. Um, But, so Mark makes this announcement, and uh, boy, the left media just has jumped all over him today. Now, uh, on the left, Josh Stein is going to be running. He's already made that announcement. Uh, In his announcement, he attacked Robinson, quote, while some politicians spark division, ignite hate, and fan the flames of bigotry, Robinson wants to tell you whom you can marry, when you'll get pregnant, and whom you should hate. You know, we live, there's so many stories out every week, and even even in today's pile. I I just, I, I so tire of the people that are constantly lying. And, you know, people say, well, that's politics. Oh. And, and yes, I, I suppose people have always done this for since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. But it seems like it's uh, at, a, at an all-new high. Uh, while following the Lieutenant's Governor announcement, WRAL, Will Doran speculated that Robinson chose to kick off the announcement that his theme of his campaign would against be against COVID-19 shutdowns. Really? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, he might bring that up. I, I mean, the, the focus is going to be the overreach of left-wing politicians that want to control every aspect of your life. Now, COVID-19 is a good example of that, but it's not going to be an anti-COVID-19 shutdown campaign. It's going to be, could we please have our freedom back campaign. You know, COVID-19 was the spotlight that shone brightly on this issue of these bureaucratic jerks trying to control every aspect of your life. Robinson, who grew up in Greensboro, less than 50 uh, minutes away from Ace Speedway, Ace Speedway is a business that repeatedly violated COVID-19 lockdowns in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, they were chastised by Roy Cooper. Uh, Axios Raleigh echoed the narrative saying Ace Speedway was a hornet's nest of hostility toward Democratic policies during the COVID-19 pandemic and their coverage of the announcement. Additionally, less than 24 hours after the announcement, media began to be critical of Robinson for comments he made during a talk he gave last week at Trinity Baptist Church in Mooresville, North Carolina. Robinson's speech to the church congregation was about courage. He told stories of several moments in American history, including the American Revolution, the Civil War, Pearl Harbor, the events of 9-11. In each instance, Robinson highlighted instances of regular Americans exemplifying courage. The media took exception when Robinson called out churches affirming homosexuality in their congregations and flying rainbow flags outside their buildings. Robinson called it a direct spit in the face of God Almighty and said that if this nation does not stop, this nation is going to be in big trouble. I would only disagree in that we are already in big trouble, Mark, but uh, I agree with your sentiments. Stein echoed the media's comments, saying... No, a rainbow flag is not a direct spit in the face of God Almighty. Of course, I think Mark Robinson is referring to the God of the Scriptures. Not sure which God 
Stein is referring to. Both Stein and Robinson are widely expected to be their respective party nominees. Um, I mentioned who else might be running for Republicans on the Democratic side. Apparently, one of the reasons Stein announced so early is he wants to make sure there's no one else that would jump in, including any African-American candidates that would... uh, maybe put uh, Stein's desire to be the governor of North Carolina in jeopardy. We'll see. But be looking. Mark that on your calendar April the 22nd. We'll see if we can get Mark Robinson lined up for April the 23rd. So, um, Ted Budd is in the news. He has introduced the Stopping Traffickers and Their Accomplices Act. The bill would require abortion providers to file a report with the National Human Trafficking Hotline if they have a reasonable suspicion to believe that a woman is the victim victim of human trafficking. The bill would also require abortion providers to participate in an annual training to recognize the signs of trafficking and to certify they have taken steps to assist women who are being trafficked. A number of conservatives uh, co-sponsored the bill. Uh, a number of conservative and Christian organizations support the bill, including Heritage for Action, Concerned Women for America, Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony. Bud said in the statement, Human trafficking is a horrific crime that must be confronted and eradicated. Given the nature of how abortion clinics operate, it is necessary to provide needed accountability to ensure they are not aiding and abetting the abuse of women enslaved in the sex trade. Um The State Department's 2017 Trafficking in Persons report found that sex traffickers coerce women into receiving abortions against their will. Another study indicated that 71% of trafficked women indicate they had at least one pregnancy while they were trafficked. Almost a third of women who were trafficked indicate they received multiple abortions. More than half of the respondents indicated their abortion was a result of coercion. Required abortion service providers to complete training to identify the the, uh, uh, victims of sex trafficking. That's just one of the things this bill will do. Uh, It will require abortion service providers to certify to the Secretary of HHS through the Administration for Children and Families uh, in persons they have been placed uh, to identify and respond to the needs of the potential victims of trafficking that present at their facility. Um, it would require HHS to provide the report to DOJ and local law enforcement. Uh, this is a good bill, and uh, it is needed, and it would possibly, possibly cut down on human trafficking. Will, um, will the pro-abortionists go along with this? There are a number of conservative groups that said this is a good idea. This would cut down on human trafficking. In this day and age, I would think that there would be totally bipartisan support of this. But I'm not sure. In this day and age, you you look at what Democrats embrace and what they fight against, and you have to ask yourself, would they get behind this or would they fight this? Don't know. So, time and time and time again this week, it seems like we've talked about the double standard when it comes to law enforcement and our judicial system. Earlier today, no, I'm sorry, earlier this week, GOP Representative Tom Tiffany asked a leader 
of the Gun Safety Advocacy Group, Every Town for Gun Safety. This was a House hearing. He was asking about Hunter Biden and why he has admitted certain things that he has done, and yet there are no ramifications for these admissions. Here's Tom Tiffany earlier this week, this is on Wednesday, asking Rob Wilcox, a senior policy director for the group Every Town for Gun Safety, about Hunter. Wilcox, if a person lies on Form 4473 and a user and is a user of unlawful drugs, um, you can get between five to ten years for that. Is that correct? Is that my understanding? No, I, be I believe Congress changed the uh, sentence uh, last Congress. Uh, what is that sentence now? Up to 15. Up to 15 years. Uh, why hasn't Hunter Biden been prosecuted for the crime that he committed? I'm not aware of the facts of that case and can't comment on it. Okay, who do we talk to to see why this uh, case is not being prosecuted? I mean, he said very clearly in his book that he used drugs, he had uh, gun, a gun, at least a gun. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Stating point of order. Totally irrelevant and not germane to this proceeding. Uh, he, sir, he's got, his, he's got his five minutes. Go ahead, continue. He's got a court Okay, <laughs> I understand why um, you do not want Mr. Wilcox to answer that question. It's very clear why you don't want, because there's a dual system of justice in America. That's what's going on right now, and everybody's talking about it across America. There's two standards of justice that are, um, that are going on. Totally irrelevant and not germane. <laughs> you heard, I don't know what Democrat that was that said that. And then you heard somebody say, "This is not a this is not a court." I mean, how many how many times on both sides of the aisle, when they have these hearings, and you have these five minutes given to each member, and they get up and they just go on this diatribe and say anything they want and ask any kind of questions they want. Suddenly, you have Representative Tom Tiffany zeroing in on Hunter. And that's the third rail in the, in the eyes of the Democrats. In fact, I've got a story. We've got to take a break. I'm going to get to it after the break. But I've got a story here uh, by Jonathan Turley that is rather interesting concerning Hunter Biden and uh, concerning Joe and the manipulation we have seen by the mainstream media, not just recently, but going all the way back to 2015 when Joe was still VP. We'll talk about that and more when we get back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in. Taking a quick look at your weekend weather forecast. Tomorrow, a mix of clouds and sun early, becoming cloudy later in the day. Possibility of a stray shower or thunderstorm is possible, a high of 84. i tell you what, I loved being warm today. Actually, having the air conditioning on in the car and the air conditioning on at the office because it was in the upper 80s today. It felt great. I will not complain about the heat. On Sunday, expect a few afternoon clouds, a high of 89. No, I'm sorry, 81 for Sunday and a chance of rain Sunday night. All in all, not too bad. In fact, rather nice. It is uh, March 24th, National Cheese Steak Day. Okay. Cheese steak subs? Sounds good. Grab one for dinner. So, uh, Joe, Cousin Eddie, 
is upset with the word salad woman, Kamala. What happened? <laughs> you picked her, bud. <laughs> uh, he's upset because Kamala is not rising to the occasion as a second-in-command. By the way, she was at some women's uh, day commemoration or something, and I, I didn't record it. I don't have it for you, but she, I'm yeah, but you were. She was in there doing another word salad deal, <laughs> talking about women and history and how history is about women and women are the history and you know word salad. It's a complicated relationship. <laughs> you in your mouth. It's a complicated relationship. Apparently, it's a complicated relationship between Joe and Kamala. This story from Reuters included comments from high-ranking officials in the Biden administration who revealed some of the president's candid opinions about Kamala. Quote, if he did not think she was capable, he would have not picked her, one Biden official told Reuters. But it is a question of consistently rising to the occasion, that same official said. A second former official highlighted, quote, a point of tension between the two. Quote, I don't think that the president sees her as someone who takes anything off of his plate. A second former White House official said, adding, quote, a fear of messing up has caused Harris to be late in joining important political fights like the ongoing border crisis. The fear of messing up. How do you, how can you mess up any worse than you already have? <laughs> I don't think you have to fear that because you're already there. It's like, I, you know, I fear falling overboard. Lady, you're already in the water. Oh. <laughs> Biden put Harris in charge of border issues in 2021, but she has notably neglected visiting the border, only going there after she took heavy flack in the press. The National Border Patrol Council grilled Harris for failing to do her job and protect the border back in January. Quote, if you're given a job two years ago with the explicit goal of reducing illegal immigration, then you sit around and do nothing while illegal immigration explodes to the levels never seen before. You should be fired and replaced, period, the council wrote. The current administration official acknowledged Harris's weakness on border issues. You know, is is Harris isn't, I mean, she's just a figurehead anyway, though. I mean, she's not calling the shots. I mean, and she is a buffoon. I'm not, I'm not defending her abilities. She's a buffoon. But <laughs> if she actually went out and did something and said something that wasn't on the script, she'd be in more trouble. So, I mean, to that degree, maybe she is fearing messing up. But it's obviously not Joe who's calling the shots. Now, Joe might be upset because he's got these terrible numbers. I mean, his, his approval rating is about as low as it's ever been. But who's calling the shots? Who's telling Joe and Kamala what to do? Anyway, Elizabeth Warren, uh, she questioned whether or not uh, Kamala would be the running mate next time around. And she said, well, and she didn't come right out and say she should be. And so apparently now Kamala... And the Indian princess are having a cat fight. The Indian princess is trying to apologize, but Kamala won't even answer her phone calls. So, uh, a number of people have written on this, including Jonathan Turley. Just the News also chimed in. Records newly released by the National Archives 
now show efforts to suppress negative stories about the Biden's family business deals. They, they didn't just happen on the laptop. They predate the laptop. Going all the way back to 2015, when an aide to Vice President Joe Biden boasted she got a reporter to, quote, only, only use negative information if her editors hold a gun to her head. So this reporter said, eh, I, I won't use it. I won't use negative, you know, unless, unless my editors force me to. Hold a gun to my head, then I will. The emails come from the Obama administration archives and were forced into public, into the public through litigation by the American First Legal Nonprofit Public Interest Law Firm. That's Stephen Miller's group. They chronicle efforts by the Biden aides in the vice president's office to suppress stories about Hunter's relationship with the Ukraine energy company Burisma, Burisma during a Biden trip to Ukraine in December of 2015. Miller, the president of First American, uh, rather America First Legal, said records suggest the news media has been complicit in burying negative stories about the Biden family for at least a decade. <laughs> well, that's shocking. <laughs> Suspicions confirmed, you think? I mean, kudos to Stephen Miller. I'm not making fun of American First Legal. They got the emails released. It's no longer speculation that the media is a part of the cover-up. I mean, we've all known it, but, you know, as, as things come out, as emails are released and revealed, uh, yeah. VP signed off on this. We'll give you this quote to both reporters in my name shortly. Then Vice President Press Official Kate Benningfield wrote in one of the emails. That email corroborates an audio tape release last year the, cops, uh, the captured Joe, Cousin Eddie, calling his son to reassure him the White House had managed to quiet the story about foreign business deals. Now, he's referring to the New York Times. You probably heard this. We've got the audio right here. Cut one. Hey, Powell's dad. It's 8.15 um, on uh, Wednesday night. If you get a chance to be called, no, nothing urgent. Just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least if they're not online, it's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times. was good. I think it's clear. And uh, anyway, um, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. So when that came out a year ago, everyone thought, huh, well, that just verifies that the liberal media is not going to write anything negative about Joe's son. What we didn't know at the time, and we do know now, is why it was a positive report. Is because the White House was putting pressure on the New York Times to write a positive report, and they did. So when he was making that call, it wasn't, hey, I, I got a, a sneak peek of the story, and you're clear. No, what he's saying is, we forced... The paper, we forced the reporter and the paper to write the story as we wanted it written. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you? And, and people were upset when a year later, or even at the time, as he was getting ready to ramp up his presidential campaign, and the president came out and said, 
they're fake fake news. And I mean, he still to this day calls them fake news. Well, yeah, they are fake news. But can you imagine if if Donald Trump or for that matter any conservative Republican were to ever put pressure on a publication to you know basically talk that publication into dropping a story that made them look bad, in fact made them look criminal, that publication would be exposing Donald Trump up up, up one side and down the other. Really frustrating, Bettingfield wrote as she approved some statements to be released to the inquiring press. That said, so long as it doesn't elevate or trigger someone else to write is actually a good, straightforward response. Speaking of what they were forcing the Times to do. One of those media outlets, the Wall Street Journal, however, did write about Hunter Biden serving on the board of Burisma, the uh, energy company. Deemed it, the Wall Street Journal deemed it corrupt by the U.S. State Department while his father was vice president and was overseeing U.S. policy to combat corruption in the country. The reporter asked if Hunter Biden holding this position was contradictory to Joe Biden's anti-corruption message. Yeah. Stephen Miller slammed the National Archives for its long concealment of these records from public view. What we are now learning is that the National Archives has a deep state that is radically committed to stopping the public from accessing these documents and also clearly is radically committed to attacking anything or anybody that they believe is contrary to their agenda. Uh, you, you would think something like the National Archives, you would think that would be a, a, a part of the federal government that would be neutral on these issues, that would be bipartisan, that they're just, you know what, I mean, it's, I mean, how, how, how far down the ladder does the deep state go? I mean, is, is it going to the point that, you know, now the people that are picking up the litter around Washington, D.C. are partisan, too? I mean, does it go that far down? I mean, I've always thought of the, the National Archives as, you know, they, they categorize what goes on the government. How, how, how much clearer it can be? You know, we're just, we're just taking it and putting it away for posterity. No. <laughs> they they're putting it away, and in some cases, they're not releasing it after they put it away, like these emails. Suddenly, they're out. The, the corruption and the drip, drip, drip of Joe Biden's corruption coming out little by little, more and more each day, it's going to be interesting to see if the floodgates open. Now, I think the only way they're going to open is if it, it becomes so obvious well, first of all, if, if the Republicans gain control of the Senate and the White House, uh, then you will see. I mean, right now it's just the House. So they think they can still get away with their lies. But if the Republicans gain back the Senate and the White House, you will see people, as these committees ramp up their investigation, you will see the rats fleeing the burning ship. And they'll start talking. And when they do, it's goodbye, Joe. Uh, Joe is probably not long for this world, but uh, it will be goodbye, Joe. Hey, we're going to take another time out. Stay with us. News and Views for a Friday continues right after this. 
News and views. He's kind of a diva. He's absolutely fascinating. Ultimate gentleman spy. Irresistible to women, deadly to his enemies, a legend in his own time. You won't believe what he's going to say next on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Here's Tom Lemprecht. Welcome back in. Randy Weingarten, the loudmouth uh, union boss, teacher's union boss. Uh, this genius has come out and said anybody that tries to point out that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has ties to liberal billionaire George Soros is being anti-Semitic. Uh, a number of people have uh, said, what in the world are you talking about? Could you please tie the... How's that anti-Semitic? <laughs> How is that anti-Semitic? Um, and, and by the way, of course, you know, Donald Trump has said uh, quite forcefully that um, George Soros backed... The uh, well, he referred to Bragg as a source-backed animal, and declared that he is funded by George Soros. The reality is, in May of 2021, George Soros gave one million dollars to the Color of Change Pack, which then, in turn, gave a huge chunk of that money to back the candidacy of Alvin Bragg. So, Trump is right. But no explanation as to how that is anti-Semitic. I mean, isn't this the way now that I, I'm really, I'm surprised she didn't say that, you know, this is a racist statement because Alvin Bragg is black, but she goes to the anti-Semitic. But I, this, is, this is so typical of liberals. They don't want to discuss the issue at hand. They never want to discuss the, the details of the issue. They want to name call. They want to throw out these accusations and paint individuals as somehow homophobic or racist or xenophobic, whatever. Anti-Semitic. That's the best they can come up with. They have no argument. So all they can do is call names and hope it sticks. By the way, have you wondered where uh, Big Bad John Fetterman is? I mean, how many weeks ago did he go over to uh, Walter Reed Hospital, basically saying he was chronically depressed, trying to struggle to adapt to life in the U.S. Senate? At the time, his aides came out and said, uh, well, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. He's just taking a little R&R. You know, he's been here for a month now. <laughs> Take a little R&R. &R. Uh, well, people are starting asking, and now they're saying again, well, he'll be back in a few weeks. So what will they say in a few weeks? Just saying. I, I was not a big Oz fan, but uh, wow. So basically, uh, the state of Pennsylvania has one, one senator right now. Good news is that's one less senator to vote uh, when it comes to uh, things coming up. Republicans uh, just have one less vote to fight. 
Have you, uh, this is a little out of the ordinary for this talk show, but last night in the Women's National Invitation Tournament, Bowling Green beat Memphis. Score was 73-60. to 60. They were going through, as they always do, after the game and shaking hands. One woman for Memphis, as they were going through the line, sucker punched a Bowling Green player. The name of the Bowling Green player was Elisa Brett, and uh, the Memphis guard was Jamara Schutz. Cold cocked uh, I think she ended up having a black eye, knocked her to the ground. The Memphis uh, trainer rushed off the uh, perpetrator of the... And listen, this is a crime. And this is after the game. Now, if it happened during the game, would it also be a crime? I, I think it should be. I mean, because this wasn't a foul. I understand, you know, you're going up for a rebound. You come down to your elbow, hit somebody in the eye, and they get a black eye. That's part of the game. I understand that. But you come up to somebody and sucker punch them, which is exactly what this Jamara Schutz did to Elisa Brett. But here, this is the second time this has happened in this tournament. It wasn't a sucker punch, but uh, there was some nasty words said between two female players earlier in the week. can't remember which two teams it was, but uh, it, was, uh, it, it was about a, a fraction away from uh, that turning into some pushing and shoving. So anyway, this uh, Memphis guard is going to face criminal charges. Happened after the game was over, so uh, local authorities are now in, in charge of it. Yeah, if you're watching online, um, is, is this the uh, is this it? Uh, Clark has got. If you're watching online on cable seven, yeah, Bowling Green seventy three, and um, Memphis sixty. And uh, oh, it's a minute. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll go on. It's a minute twenty before it gets to the. Uh, if you're watching online, <laughs> just just leave it up there. I'll talk uh, as uh, go to another story. But you'll see uh, you'll see in a moment here if you're watching online that uh, this girl gets sucker punched and uh, knocked to the ground. Uh, well, there you go. It wasn't on camera of her getting sucker punched, but you can see her on the ground. So, anyway. <sighs> they're worse than the guys. <laughs> Just saying. They're worse than the guys. Oh, here, here's another uh, shot of the sucker punch in slow-mo. Well, you can't see it because she's the, the, the other girls are blocking it. But, uh, yeah, she went down and they escorted uh, shuts off the uh, floor. Can't make it up. Um, Washington Times is reporting on more political weaponization by law enforcement. Now people prosecuted for even misdemeanors from the January 6th insurrection, as they call it, up at the Capitol storming the U.S. Capitol, they've been blacklisted. I mean, this is just a misdemeanor. They've been blacklisted by banks and shut out of social media fundraising services because the Justice Department, the Joe Biden, Merrick Garland Justice Depart Department, and the FBI 
had told the banks, given them a list of names, saying, these people are domestic terrorists. And so now the bank, in turn, has, well, in one case, Derek Evans, a former West Virginia lawmaker who served three months in prison on one felony account of civil disorder, said Chase Bank shut down his accounts after giving him an ultimatum the bank sent him letters telling him that he and his wife had 30 days to empty their accounts before Chase canceled the accounts. Chase would not comment when the Times, the Washington Times inquired about the closing of Mr. Evans' account, other than to say that, uh, well, we just follow what the law enforcement tells us to do. Uh, the bank said the same. PNC Bank, PNC says we cooperate with inquiries from law enforcement agencies in full compliance with the law without regard to political affiliation. Well, there is political affiliation here. It's called Democrats in charge of the DOJ and weaponizing the FBI. Carolyn Stewart, a lawyer who represents in several January 6th defendants, says she thinks the FBI and the Department of Justice are deliberately labeling them domestic terrorists and sending out subpoenas and requests for information to banks prompting the bank to freeze out January 6th defendants, regardless of the nature of their crimes. And again, many of these are just misdemeanors. Whistleblower inside the FBI um, said supervisors force agents to fabricate terrorism cases to pump up performance statistics and attain quotas set for domestic terrorism cases. This was confirmed by an audit of the Justice Department inspector last year. It found the FBI used the arrest of the January 6th defendants to count as terrorist disruptions to help make the quota, according to the whistleblower. At least 1,000 people arrested on charges related to the riot at the Capitol. About 518 have pleaded guilty to a variety of federal charges, many of whom faced or will face incarceration at sentencing, according to the Department of Justice. 133 have pleaded to felonies. 385 pleaded to misdemeanors. Listen, if these people are terrorists... Domestic terrorists. Have there been anybody from the George Floyd 2020 riots that have been labeled as domestic terrorists? Taking over parts of cities? Committing murder? You know, what about, uh, remember back in, in, I think it was 2011, and it happened again in 2017, I believe, when the teachers' union and other union, state union workers went to the Wisconsin state capitol and basically took over the capitol. Remember the Democrats, they all got in a bus and they drove to some other state so they wouldn't have to show up? So certain legislation wouldn't be passed. It finally was passed. But remember, at one point, there were 40,000 people that descended upon Madison, Wisconsin, and they took over the state capitol, basically shutting down the state government. They were unions, defending, defending unions. Nothing happened to them. Nothing. Double standard. We'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Hey, kudos uh, as we uh, wrap the program up for the week to uh, Virginia Fox. She was a uh, big proponent and sponsor of the bill known as H.R. 5, which is basically a um, parental rights bill on the federal level. 
as you can imagine, there are a number of Democrats that have gone bananas and uh, declared this, you know, basically uh, a repeat of Nazi Germany burning books. Is That's what it's equivalent to. Um, H.R. 5 passed earlier today. I think there were five Republicans that voted against it. All the Democrats voted against it, and uh, the Republicans, enough Republicans voted for it that it passed. So uh, Virginia Fox pushed hard for this. You know, what's interesting about this bill is this is going to be a feather in the cap to Ron DeSantis. Stop and think about it. He, he was the first governor, and Florida was the first state to defy the woke loudmouths and said, and of course that was the bill they said, don't say gay bill, has nothing to do with don't say gay. But again, you know, the, the liberals will say anything they can to vilify their political opponents. But Ron DeSantis stood up, stood tall, and he put forth, and this, the state legislature down there passed the parental rights bill. Now you have a number of states that have a conservative legislature uh, passing similar bills, including North Carolina. But now the federal government, this is really interesting, the federal government, the state, the, the uh, Republican-led House, decided we're going to follow the pattern of Florida and Ron DeSantis. This can only help Ron DeSantis. It makes him, well, he is a leader, and this is evidence of it. Uh, I like Donald Trump, don't, don't get me wrong, but uh, kudos to uh, Ron DeSantis. Hey, listen, have a great weekend. We'll do it again on Monday. We'll see you there. Bye-bye. Our